0: Welcome to This Week in California Education, produced by EdSource Radio, where we talk about the latest developments in California education. I'm Lewis Friedberg, Executive Director of EdSource, with John Fensterwald, Editor-at-Large at at EdSource. Welcome, John. Great to be here, Lewis. Well, John, I think the big event this week, not exactly in California education, was the Warriors' victory. Big event for me. And uh, we actually were able to celebrate that because the Parade for the Warriors happened right outside our office. I went down there. We got some of the some of the crowd ambience. This was a great moment, somewhat bittersweet, because the Warriors are actually going to be leaving Oakland.
1: Yes, moving to San Francisco in a couple of years. Well, this was a
0: great celebration here in Oakland this week. There was also some good news on the state budget and some good news for schools.
1: Yes, the. uh Legislature passed the budget, and in that budget is about $3 billion extra for K-12 schools. $3 billion. And wasn't some of the money being held over till 2019? well that was the governor's intent so he said in the may revision out of that uh, it's really i guess 2.8 billion about half of that will be for the local control funding formula and the governor had about another billion in one time money and what he said was he was kind of worried that maybe the revenue projections won't happen so he wanted to say let's see what happens and we'll give you that billion dollars in 2019, you know, pay me for the hamburger I'll give you next Tuesday or whatever we used to say. And so the legislature looked at that and said, no, no, you know, if it's budgeted in 2017, 18, let's put it in 2017, 18. And so that money will go out to schools this year, this coming year.
0: Okay, well, that's, that's great news uh, for the schools. And childcare. And preschool, there were some developments there. And John, you talked with Ted Lempert, president of Children Now, about yeah, child
1: care issues. Ted's immersed in the issue. And I asked him to give us a, an assessment
2: of child care and preschool in the budget. This is what he had to say. Childcare and preschool did relatively well. Part of the, the positive news was the agreement that was made last year to expand support, especially for the reimbursement rate, was continued. So even though that was last year's promise, the fact that it was kept this year, it was a significant investment, actually $240 million in this year's budget. And then we had another important win, why modest in terms of funding, really critical for families. And that dealt with a continuous 12-month eligibility, essentially families were having to reapply and kicked off, and it made it very difficult to have continuous childcare supported by the state. So uh, that was addressed in this year's budget, which was a significant win.
1: And then there was something about expansion of the earned income tax credit that the administration was saying could affect as many as a million and a half families is that true or an overstatement is it good for uh, low-income families
2: absolutely yeah the EITC the earned income tax credit was a, a we, we view that child care wins as as anti-poverty wins and then the eITC uh, definitely because that you know for, essentially gets dollars into the hands of uh, low-income families and that's especially critical to to meet just basic expenses and 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 that certainly includes uh, child care and transportation
1: What's your assessment of the overall state budget for K 12, Ted? You know, in terms of percentage increase. Schools did relatively well compared with the rest of the budget, but but put it in a larger context, if you will.
2: Yeah, there's sort of the inside, the, the beltway inside the Sacramento talk about education funding and then sort of what's going on in the real world around the state. So I, I think in Sacramento, folks said, hey, look, K-12 K- got another big increase that we're almost all the way there in terms of the projected LCFF, local control formula funding. So, you know, you talked to a lot of folks, insiders in Sacramento, and they said, yeah, K-12 12 did well in this budget. You go anywhere throughout the state and and you find out that, first of all, the, quote, extra dollars are in large part being used for pension obligations and and other obligations. And uh, we continue to rank, you know, very low compared to the rest of the country. So was it an improvement this year? Yes. K-12 got some more money. Uh, are we where we sh- should be? Absolutely not.
1: And. Projecting ahead, is it your assessment that others say we're headed to really some pretty flat funding years after having recovered from the recession? Again, it's all relative. We were, we were trying to catch up to where we were, but we went through a couple years of significant funding, and now I guess the projections are maybe those days may be over.
2: Yeah, and that's what's really scary about this. I mean, I've been doing this for a while, and I remember back when I was in the legislature during the boom of the late 90s, 2000, there really was a, a significant increase in education that, that moved us up a, a number of notches compared to other states. So what I'm concerned about in this in these last few years where we've also had an economic uptick, the, the investments in K-12 haven't done the same, and, and then partly that's because of the pension obligations and other dynamics. So you know, essentially, while we've been increasing, we, we really haven't moved up that dramatically compared to other states and and therefore still, you know, very low. So funding increases
1: change from year to year, but those, particularly the pension obligations for teachers and, and classified workers, I mean, they're mandated, right, for the next uh, four or five years.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things we, we – well, certainly this governor in his, in his last year coming up, but that a new administration, you know, as part of education funding, really look at trying to take some of the pressure off districts and meeting those pension obligations and, and the state, you know, doing more because this is all part of how do we make sure that our schools are better funded. Thank you, Ted. My pleasure.
0: That was Ted Lempert, president of Children Now. John,
1: what else was in the budget of note? Well, there were some one-time items. The uh, after-school and summer programs hadn't gotten a, an increase in over a decade and there's $50 million, basically recognizing that minimum wage is increased, and you're going to have to pay the providers more if you want to keep these programs. They, they had not gotten an increase in the hourly rate. That's right. Exactly. The hourly rate since 2006. So they
0: were falling behind. So the, the legislature stepped up and said they would put in additional funds. Exactly.
1: And there was also $30 million to address the state's teacher shortage, two programs, partly to encourage more bilingual teachers and partly to continue a program they started last year, which was to encourage classified hourly workers who work in the schools to go ahead and get their teaching credential and join the teaching workforce. This is at least... Taking some steps
0: to address the teacher shortage.
1: Yes, not as much as some in the legislature wanted, but it was encouraging that the governor recognized that some additional steps should be taken. That's all on the plus
0: side. Any other concerns that you or other folks in the trenches have about the, the
1: overall picture? Well, I think if you ask anyone in the districts, will tell you they're facing mandated expenses, particularly in the increased costs of pensions for their workers. You know, they got $1.4 billion in local control funding formula. About a billion dollars will go towards pension funds in order to keep up with the obligations that the legislature set a couple of years ago.
0: And just to clarify, when you say money going to the local control funding formula, that's basically money for their base funding. For the district
1: actually, that's total uh, local control funding form, including the supplemental money that goes towards students with low income and English learners, but the entire thing and it it varies from district to district, but when average let's say if in total it's one point four billion dollars, and you know one billion of that in of the districts will have to pay for these mandated expenses, so Lewis, a week cannot go by before at least I ask you this question. What has Betsy DeVos said or done this week? Okay. Well, for those who haven't been reading the newspaper or watching uh,
0: CNN for the last six months, Betsy DeVos is the Secretary of Education. DeVos gave what I thought was a very interesting talk this week to the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools, their big annual conference in Washington, D.C. There were 4,500 charter school advocates, teachers, principals, and others, and she spoke very favorably about charter schools, but she also laced her comments with some pretty direct criticisms of charter schools, basically saying that the movement had become kind of viewing themselves as the best or maybe the only part of school choice that really makes sense, perhaps to the exclusion of school vouchers for private school tuition. So um, this is what she had to say.
3: No one has a monopoly on creativity. No one has a monopoly on knowing how every child learns. Charter's success should be celebrated, but it's equally important not to quote, become the man. I thought it was a tough but fair criticism when a friend recently wrote in an article that many who call themselves reformers have instead become just another breed of bureaucrats, a new education establishment. We don't need 500-page charter school applications. That's not progress. That's fundamentally at odds with why parents demanded charters in the first place.
0: That was Betsy DeVos, the U.S. Secretary of Education. So she was basically arguing that charter schools are not the only alternative for kids and um, clearly was suggesting that private school vouchers also need to be on the table.
1: It sort of shows a division, does it not, in the choice movement, uh, Lewis? I guess the charter schools would say it's not just our own self-interest. It's that you know we're under more regulation. We're more accountable than some of the voucher programs that she's in favor of, and that's important to us.
0: Yeah, and I have to say it's also true that since Betsy DeVos has become secretary, at least in the public comments, she does always include magnet schools and well-functioning public schools. And that really wasn't part of her discourse before she became secretary. So the jury is still out in terms of whether she really believes in well-functioning public schools and magnet schools and whether that will be part of the Trump administration's agenda. So far, there's no real indication that that's the case.
1: Did she say anything about the uh, president's proposed budget? Of course, she was very strongly in favor of the
0: president's budget. And she's basically saying that and touting the fact that it includes $1 billion for a school choice program for low-income students. And that could include uh, money for having kids go to higher-performing public schools.
1: Well, of course, a lot of people are saying that budget is dead on arrival. I wonder if it affects her credibility to, to continue to support that budget. Well,
0: I I think that's the case, not just with the education part of the budget, but as you suggest for the whole budget. uh, But at the moment, of course, this is is on the agenda for
1: the Trump administration, and we'll have to see what happens in the next few months. Someone else who's familiar to a lot of Californians and anyone who uses Netflix, I guess. And that's Netflix CEO and charter supporter Reed Hastings. He also had an interesting talk, I understand, at that convention. Well, Reed
0: Hastings has been one of the largest contributors to charter schools in the country. He just poured several million dollars into the uh, Los Angeles Unified School Board race. And uh, he gave also a very interesting talk. One of the questions is, what is the strategy here for the charter school movement? Is it to expand significantly beyond where it is now? Is it to use charter schools as laboratories of innovation? And Reed Hastings definitely falls on the side of those who think there should be a massive expansion of enrollments in charter schools. In fact, in his talk, he said that he thought the way to go, the campaign has to be city by city, state by state, to a point where most students are enrolled in charter schools. And that, he acknowledged, would take many years, many decades, and that he committed himself to hanging in there and supporting that movement over many decades. This is what he had to say.
3: I know that I've been a supporter for more than 20 years, and I will be with you for another 20 and another 20, because it's going to take a long time. It's frustrating, but it's the reality. And you know, there's other good ideas that took a long time. Like, think about the basic idea behind democracy. One man, one vote. Kind of simple, not very controversial. And yet at the founding of the United States, you might think, Well, we have democracy, but only landed white males could vote. And it took another fifty years from our country's founding for poor white males to be able to vote. And then it took another 50 years and a civil war for African Americans to nominally be able to vote. And then it took another 50 years for women to be able to vote. And then another 50 years for African African-American, Americans to be able to vote in practice. That's how long it took for a simple idea like one person, one vote. So we have to recognize that human society changes slowly, but it does change and together we have the joy, the honor, and the excitement of changing our country for the better.
0: That was Reed Hastings, the founder and CEO of Netflix. And as you heard, I thought that was very notable that he compared the charter school movement and the drive to enroll more students in charter schools to the civil rights movement.
1: Well, I wonder if the newly elected board members of Los Angeles Unified will agree with him at this point in terms of this big rush for additional charter schools. What's your sense of that? Well, my sense, and not only
0: my sense, is what they've said. We've talked to at least two of the the new board members. And uh, they say, no, they're not going to be pushing uh, for a massive increase in charter schools, in part because it's not clear that the school district could really handle it or tolerate it, given the declining enrollments already, the big fiscal hole that the district faces. So their vision seems to be somewhat at odds with the vision of Reed Hastings,
1: who is one of their biggest backers. So we'll have to see how all of that plays itself out. Uh, Lewis, how about a prediction this week? Do you have anything... Uh- that you forecast?
0: I thought it was very interesting this week that the California Federation of Teachers, it's the other big teachers union, in addition to the California Teachers Association, endorsed Assemblyman Tony Thurman, who's from the East Bay, for state superintendent of public instruction. The CTA hasn't endorsed him yet, but that seems inevitable that the teachers unions will be backing uh, Tony Thurman versus Marshall Tuck who comes from the charter school sector. And my prediction is that this is going to be a very fiercely fought race and extremely expensive, and that it will parallel the spending that we've seen in the Los Angeles Unified School District, where $17 million
1: was spent to get a handful of school board members elected. He said, I think you're probably right, Lewis, but it'll be interesting to see if the candidates try and position themselves so that they avoid this split that happened the last time around between... Tom Tulicson and talking, which it really became a, a sort of a plebiscite, a vote on ch- where you stand on charter schools, and see if they try and make it more of a race, dealing with other issues.
0: Well, we've already seen, actually, in talking with Marshall Tax since the election in in Los Angeles Unified, he's he's toning down the rhetoric a little bit on charter schools. So you may be right on that front. Let me ask you, John, before I let you go, what's your prediction of the week?
1: Well, I guess my apologies. Maybe it's because I I got up at 5.30 in the morning to take BART to get to Oakland, so I'd have a good place in line on Thursday to see uh, Draymond Green and Kevin Durant and everyone else. So I guess in that blush of enthusiasm, I guess I'll predict the Warriors will win again next year. (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) You're not the only one making that prediction, and I'll let you off the hook. Uh, this week in terms of your prediction not being directly related to the school. So we'll we'll, we'll, uh, wait for that for next week. Well, that wraps it up for this week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. For more on these topics, go to our website at edsource.org. Thanks to our producer, Sarah Tan. Thanks for listening and see you next week.